sitting down with Sue Favor. Um, she is a fine, fine basketball writer. Uh, her, her website, Women's Hoops World, covers college, covers high school, the WNBA. Um, lifelong basketball fan, always great. We never get to hang out anymore, so it's always it's great to at least at least this way I can virtually chat with you for a little bit. How are you today? Hey, good. How's yourself? It's great to see you as well. Yeah, yeah we're doing the the video conference thing um, with this new shelter in place. Um, I want to talk women of Troy with you because as, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, I need to see what Sue thinks about this. But before we do that, um, end of the season this year in college basketball was abrupt, but the men's tournament looked great and the women's tournament looked great. And it's disappointing that we're not going to get to see potentially one of the greatest players of all time and a lot of great players not have that last run as far as the uh, the NCAA okay. tournament. Man, I guess I don't even know where to start on that. I mean, I'm still grieving the loss of the NCAA tournament. I think um, I think most of us were kind of in denial about it till the very last minute. Like, oh no, they're not going to do it. They're not going to cancel it. They're not going to. And oh my God, it's canceled. Um, basically, a lot of a lot of us felt, including myself, that this is po- perhaps the best women's college basketball season we've ever seen as far as the level of competition, the parity, the upsets, the the. Uh, the team from beginning to the end of the season, just it was, we were just prepared to see an unbelievable NCAA tournament, and it just feels like we were all robbed. And I think that's why everybody's so sad and so upset, and and still arguing over who quote unquote would have won. Um, you know, you can kind of gauge how great the season was by based on how many arguments are taking place now, um, as far as who everybody thinks would won or would have been made the final four. Um, I was so excited about it for that reason, and I just feel like, wow, that was. That, that abrupt ending to an unbelievable season just made it even worse. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not one to speculate on who would have done what, but it sure would have been nice. And I really do feel badly for those top players, especially uh, people like Sabrina Ionescu, who came back, you know, specifically for that purpose. There was a few other seniors who came back for, you know, after injury, like Lauren Cox from Baylor. She rehabilitated herself specifically to come back. And, um, you know, you got to feel bad for, for players like them. Like if we feel bad, you can only imagine how badly they feel. I mean, it was, yeah, it was tough for the seniors. I really felt for the seniors this year in particular, your last chance at the dance. You don't even get to go. Um, there have been some movement, though. Uh, new coach at Texas coming over from Mississippi State. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, actually, I was just in on a conference call yesterday. I'm going to have a piece up. Uh, by the end of today, it's a great move for Texas. Very smart move. They they knew that that Vic was wanting to go back to his home state. Um, Vic's a great coach, a really top quality human being. He should be able to do great things at Texas, and um, it's great for them. And I think now, um, <coughs> excuse me, I think now we're all really intrigued to see what Mississippi State will do to replace a coach like Vic because he basically took that program from literally the bottom of the SEC to the top in his time there, which was only eight years. And so um, that's a great move. And then I hear that there's some other, um, there's some other movement in the pike as well. Suppose, allegedly uh, today uh, an offer has been made. Mississippi State has offered some ACC coach a multi-million dollar contract. And so we'll see if, if that takes place. So it's only the beginning of this, uh, of the coaching movement time of year. 
uh, our own backyard, Sue, uh, in the Big West, my backyard, I guess, and you have a bigger backyard than I do. Um, but uh, uh, so uh, the Grand Canyon coach comes over and takes over UC Riverside. I'm just personally hoping that she keeps Sarum on board because I thought Sarum was kind of thrust into a tough situation there at UC Riverside. But do you know what 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 uh, what what are your thoughts on that on that coaching change? Um, you know, that was great. And I do hope that that some continuity is kept there as well. Um, Nicole Powell, I've heard nothing but great things. You know, obviously, she's from coach uh, Oregon coach Kelly Graves coaching tree. And she did well at Grand Canyon for the three years that she was there. And so. It, I didn't know she was trying to move, but um, as long as they have her, you know, that seems to be a pretty solid hire. And I know that, you know, I know Riverside needs needs some love and stability for a while. They've um, kind of have had a little bit less of that the last few years. I think that's a good person to bring it to them. Um, Nicole Powell's real solid on the fundamentals and she's just a real steady human being. So that should be a boost for the whole conference, frankly. Yeah, you mentioned, uh, I mean, Kelly Graves obviously done a great job first at Gonzaga now at Oregon, but also the, she's from the Terra, the Terra Vanderveer uh, uh, tree as well, having played at Stanford. And, you know, it's interesting, those Stanford players, I mean, they've been okay. They've been some, they've had a good years, but nobody's kind of really stepped up and really had a dominant program uh, coming down as a player, ex-player from Stanford, moving on to the coaching. Uh, it's tough, right? It's tough to replicate that Stanford model anywhere else. Man, yeah, you know, Tara Vanderveer is, is, I believe she's second only to um, Pat Summit in wins. And, um, you know, she's phenomenal, just the ultimate tactician and strategist. Um, trying to compare, I mean, any young coach trying to compare themselves to her, that's just ridiculous. That's like that's like comparing a toddler to a Nostradamus or something. I mean, you know, all you, all, all you can do is hope to emulate. Um, I hope Courtney Jaco, from former, uh, former USC player Courtney Jaco, I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this story, but... She was a graduate assistant for Tara Vanderveer a couple of years ago. And bless her heart, Courtney's smart. And she took notes. She took a whole binder full of notes the entire year on Tara Vanderveer because she wanted to learn all that good juice. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. They Maybe in, maybe in a few decades somebody can try to replicate that, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> um, uh, and then I wanted to talk about the Hall of Fame, too. Uh, you know, a couple of big names in women's basketball were honored this year at the at the Naismith Hall of Fame. Uh, I know you had you had a piece. I think you had a piece up on it. I was flipping through the website, uh, but obviously Tamika Catchings, one of the greatest ever. Oh my gosh, I, I can't say I've been happier to see anybody make the Hall of Fame than her. Um, she is so deserving. She worked so hard. Um, I am not as great at on stats as some other people, but uh, ESPN writer. Kevin Pelton had a great piece up yesterday on the site about why statistically Tamika Catchings should be considered the GOAT. And it perfectly replicated my thoughts from many years of saying the same thing. Basically, the point differential differential when she's on the floor was always positive. She made she literally carried that team for all 15 years she was on it. And they made the playoffs like all but one year that she was that she was there. And it was because of her. And so, you know, ending her career in the top 10 in um, three or four different statistical categories in the WNBA. Nobody's ever done that before. So, um, you know, if anybody deserves it, it's her. And then um, I think we're also real pleased to see Kim Mulkey make the Hall of Fame. She had the, uh, you know, she was in the very first NCAA Women's Game Tournament Championship in 1982, which was just rebroadcast the other day. Um, I remember watching that game as a kid with my face pressed up against the TV with the girl, looking at the girl in the braid. And, um, you know, obviously she's taken that legacy to the coaching ranks at Baylor. And um, I think both those coaches are extremely deserving as well as Bentley University coach Barbara Stevens, 
Um, she was also inducted. I just very, very solid picks this year. I think the, the fan base, women's basketball fan base is, is really happy with all, all three of those. And we'll, we'll get to Kilmulkey a little bit more in a bit. You're talking about that Louisiana Tech team. But um, you brought about the WNBA. What do you think that the situation is now? I mean, you and I have friends who work in the league. So they're kind of at a sit-and-wait situation right now. How important is it for them to play, to play at least some semblance of a season? And would they, would they play a season, Sue, if it wasn't a full season? Man, that's some really great questions, Gasell. Um, it's hard to answer that because clearly we've never been in this type of situation before, and, and at least in any, any of the lives of the people are on this planet right now. Um, it's just real sad, though, because the WNBA had just – WNBPA – had just negotiated this amazing contract, new CBA for players, which was set to give them higher pay and a few other benefits as they probably should have had from the beginning. And, um, you know, obviously the level of play has been super high for the last several years. And so it's just crazy ironic that this would happen right now. Um, I truly don't think, you know, since the announcement just made last Friday, I truly don't think the WNBA knows what's going to happen next. I don't think we all, any of us do. And, and everybody really is kind of at a standstill, a sit and wait. Um, Man, I personally, Gasell, I think I think they should at least try to play part of a season because just not having the league at all um, <clears throat> would just be bad for the league. But you know, you gotta you gotta keep the game in people's minds. You gotta keep yourself in the minds of your fans, and um, you gotta be out there. And um, not, and the question I have that I probably should just ask somebody at the WNBA is, you know, if they did play, say, if they played two of the months out of the three or four that you, they usually play. Would that be without fans? Would they be willing to play without fans or with a limited number of fans? I mean, you know, it's like questions like that that really make me wonder. And and the answer to those questions would probably help determine whether or not they would play. They need part of their issue is, has been always that they need more fans. So if they didn't have fans or had limited fans, could they turn the rest of those fans into viewer fans on streaming devices or other devices? Yeah. The question I always have, you know, I had this question with the Big West tournament is if it's not safe enough for the fans, why are we assuming it's safe enough for the players? That that's that would be my concern. Very you know, good. Every league's going through it. Base baseball's going through yep. it, basketball's going through it. You know, they're all they're all talking about this, which obviously is a positive thing. And a lot of it is it's gonna be a timetable, obviously, because we don't know what's going on. Probably right. be another month before they actually get a true statistical model on it. So I guess it's just kind of wait and see at this point for every everybody. And there's a lot of questions that we need to ask and answer. Um, but so the reason I, ha- I wanted to have you on is I watched the 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 uh, the um, women of Troy, which I you know obviously I remember the McGees and Cheryl Miller and Cynthia Cooper. You know they played in the Olympics and they've all had really distinguished careers. But um, I had a chance to talk to Jim Alexander, who covered actually Cheryl Miller in high school. And wow. you mentioned. You had your face pressed up to the TV in 1982, so you've been following women's basketball for a long time. And and it, the point they make in it is, here's a Cheryl Miller, somebody who kind of elevated, and that whole USC team kind of elevated the women's game, uh, winning back-to-back national championships, 83 and 84, and then Cheryl Miller's senior year, they lost to Texas. We talked about Texas a little bit earlier. Yeah. So she played in three championships in four years. Can Cheryl Miller make an argument, maybe not a professional level we just had that conversation about Tamika Catchings being potentially the greatest woman ever to play college basketball that's a great question isn't it and you already know you and I both know that there would be endless Twitter fights about that question right 
Um, it's always hard when you try to compare players from different eras because there's always going to be that person that pops up and say, oh, you can't compare it. But you know what? I don't know. I think you I, I really do think that Cheryl Miller would hold up hold up just fine today, especially especially the women of Troy special was made so well. And it, it gave us plenty of footage to see what she could really do on the court. And it was a lot. She was she could do. A, she was very multi skilled, had great natural instincts for the game. Um, <clears throat> it's just a tragedy that that injury happened before we have the medical technology to really rehabilitate athletes from that injury. That's just a tragedy. I just feel like, wow, we really lost something there when we, when we couldn't help her, you know, but, um, <coughs> excuse me, but you know, I really do think she might, you might want to consider her in the best, in the best of circle, at least in the top five, because she would have had an amazing pro career. My goodness. She would have been Dr. J and, Kareem and Jordan all wrapped in one, really. Yeah, she was definitely a game changer. The funny thing was, you know, Jim Alexander told me this story uh, about, you know, and they told it in the in the in the, uh, in the HBO special. The McGee sisters basically told her because she was set to go to UCLA, and they yeah. told her, "Hey, you can play against us for th- for three years, or you can play with us." And then she opted, obviously, to play to play with her. Um, the first final they won was the 83 final. They played Louisiana Tech. Kim Mulkey was on that team. And so there you go. What I loved also about it was kind of how they weaved the history in. Because the, in the two national championship games, they played against um, La Tech. Obviously, you talked about Kim Mulkey already with the, the braid and everything. And then the Tennessee team, that was Pat Summit's first Final Four team that they played the next year when Cheryl Miller was a sophomore. So yeah. that was the great thing about it. it was Yeah, I mean, we learned about USC and how their program – developed and all the talented people that you know between the mcgee sisters and cynthia cooper and cheryl miller and all their teammates how they all kind of dispersed about and i know cynthia cooper ended up ultimately playing in the wnba after playing in the olympics and all that but i love the context in terms of the history because you had um you know sonia hogg's kind of the godmother and then you had kim yeah. walkie play for her at latak and then you had the first uh, pat summit team from tennessee and then she obviously ended up winning the eight 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 NCAA titles in her career with, with the Lady Vols there. Um, we, we see that a lot, like when I watch stuff about men's basketball, and we haven't seen a lot of that stuff probably because the history is a little bit shorter about women's hoops. So I thought it was really helpful uh, to see. I mean, man, there's there's so many moving parts to this whole thing. They're able to bring Gino in as well and get a little perspective from him. How is that to watch, not just seeing a great story about a great team, but all the little kind of tangents that you know are still relevant in the way basketball is played today. Well, you know, Gisele, that's an excellent point because that is probably the main reason I really enjoyed that. I just thought it was so well done and I haven't heard one negative comment about it is uh, it did re it did weave the, the rich history of the game into it. Um, I found the interviews with Sonia Hogue very funny and she explained the sleeves on Louisiana tech uniforms, which they were notorious for. Um, <clears throat> Cynthia Cooper got a chance to, you know, talk about her history, which many of us knew, but the details about her brother dying was was new for some of us. And um, it was just rich. Also, the McGee sisters, many of the uh, newer Hoops fans know Imani McGee Stafford from her playing days here in California at Texas and now at in the WNBA. And there was her mother and her twin sister on there telling their story and the Olympic story and um, about, you know, um, Pam giving Paula her medal and all that stuff. Man, 
you know, and I know, Gisele, that the basketball world is extremely small. And that was just a perfect example of that because everybody is so closely tied together. And you're right. The Tennessee having Pat Summit, old images of Pat Summit on the screen, um, Jody Conrad and Texas winning that last title. Um, that was rich. That was just rich. And I would love to see more specials like that. There's so many things that we could do. They could do a whole special on Louisiana Tech. That was the dynasty for a while. Um, they could do a little bit of Tennessee. They could do all kinds of stuff. Stanford won a couple of titles in there. They could do, you know, young Tara Vanderveer um, and all the great players that have come out of all those programs. There's just endless, endless stories to tell. It was well done. And if you talk to this guy, man, yeah, Jim Alexander, tell him, tell him we need some more. Yeah. No. I, I, well, I'll tell you, the last 20 years, I think we've gotten a lot about Tennessee and UConn. And it, it's almost like it's been until recently, obviously, you know, Baylor with, with Kim Mulkey took over, obviously kind of entered that stratosphere. But it's almost like it's a two horse race or even, you know, I think most sophisticated fans know there's seven, eight really good women's teams and then kind of is a drop off. But the history of it, I think, is really important when everything's intertwined. I, I just, you know, when I talk to Jason Flowers, I'll talk to Lindsay or I'll talk to even a, when I was talking to John Margaritis, people who actually know the history of how things come. You know, Bob yeah. Spencer, I'm sure you're familiar with at Fresno State. Like, that's somebody whose name should roll off everybody's tongue the way a lot of the, you know, the men's game. We know all the great coaches. Um, Joanne uh, Bonvicini, who was at Long Beach State and then later yeah. at, at uh Arizona, who went to two Final Fours with the 49ers, you know, out, out of the Big West. So those are some great stories. And you and you know about this because you're a writer. There's so many great stories in the game. And it's just a matter of people like you and I efforting to find these stories. That's, I think that's what you do for, you know, that's what you do for a living. So I'm sure you really appreciate when anybody can come up with this kind of stuff. No, you're, yeah, that's that's true. And, you know, to, to quite candidly, Gasol, the, uh, Fans on the women's side, they need to be a little bit better about their history. The men's men's fans, you know, the game has been around a lot longer. And men's fans, they can tell you, you know, what happened in the fourth quarter of the Final Four in 1959, and it was so-and-so versus so-and-so, and then they pivoted on the right foot. And some of these people don't even know who the first players were in, on, in the WNBA. And so there is work to be done, but it's specials like the women of Troy that, you know, enlighten, help enlighten people along the way and just – it's important to know the history of the game. It really is. You got to know what happened because that led to the next thing and the next thing. You know, can you imagine a men's fan not knowing who um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Larry Bird was? I can't. But yet yeah. these yeah. same people will be ignorant about some of the first stars um, that were ever in collegiate basketball. So that. I think on the women's game, it's improved, though, Sue, because there's so many more games on TV now, you know, like when, we, when you and I were true. kids, there, there, you know, there, there was a handful, you know, there might have been a local package here and there. Now they're nationally, they're nationally televised games you can watch every week. Now it's not as saturated as the men's game, admittedly, but probably if you're a young girl who's grown up and is a basketball fan, you can watch three, four, five college games a week. Now, unfortunately, it's all the top teams. You don't get a lot of the local coverage. hasn't really caught up with the national coverage. But I okay. do think the national coverage, you know, the people they have covered the national game, you know, I mean, Carol Lawson, Rebecca Lobo, Adam Amin, who I know that you have a, you have a, you have a Twitter a rep, repartee with, they all do a great job not only covering the game but kind of promoting the people within the game. Yeah. 
And, you know, that's another reason why the, the cessation of the season was such a tragedy is because fans were so engaged. You know, it's so much easier to be engaged because even though, like, maybe on the national channels, you can still go to, like, the ESPN app and see some of the little channels. You know, when you go to the menu and you flip through and it said also on, you know, you can actually see some of the mid-majors play sometimes. And so that's cool for, like, if you're a kid in South Dakota and you want to see whatever, whatever play, I mean, sometimes it can be on, and that's great. You know, eyes uh, eyes on games turn into fans, that's for sure. Um, yeah, you know, another element of that, of, that uh, of the special, too, was just seeing the growth of the game, seeing how it's grown, you know, hearing Cheryl Miller talk about the game, and then hearing the players who grew up watching Cheryl Miller, you know, or knowing of Cheryl Miller talk about how, how it's just, you know, it's become, you know, it's it's probably, I mean, soccer and basketball, I think, are the two biggest sports where young girls and women are able to participate. Because all these different, you know, everybody has a program. Everybody, you know, you can go to, if you're a 12-year-old girl that likes basketball, you can go to a camp 10 minutes from your house. Whereas maybe 20 years ago, it's an hour drive or an hour and a half drive to get to those camps. Yeah, so that, that yeah. access has really has really improved. Yeah, no, it's true. And there's also, I have to say, there's also more male fans of the game, too. You know, I've always had my go-to men that I can talk to about stuff. But in general, yeah, there's a there's a lot more, there's just a lot more awareness lately. Like, people, when Sabrina Ioniscu broke some records this year, and she broke quite a few, um, the men knew that. The men knew that. They were on social media, and, and, and my friends, you know, when you could still hang out with people and talk to them, um, and they were talking about it, and it was great. They're like, oh my God, look at what she just did, and all this kind of stuff. And so it's really nice to see that. Yeah, I know the skills translate, and it's great that the 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 uh, the the platforms are picking it up. That's what that's that's to me what's great is that you know Fox and ESPN see it as a responsibility to to promote to promote that sport. Um, but going to promotion, uh, we touched on the WNBA. What are some that there was a great playoff, obviously, last year. There were a couple of great playoff series in the WNBA. Where was where the kickoff point? If they do have a league this year, Sue, what are some of the storylines we need to look at for the WNBA coming up in 2020? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, there was just a, quite a few trades right before um, all heck broke loose in the world. There was a really, they had a really good, interesting free agency period where a lot of, the, a lot of top players that we're used to seeing shifted teams. And um, kind of like the NBA players have done for years where, you know, they just kind of they just go somewhere else. But that hadn't happened before. So people were shocked. So there would be that, you know, um, for instance, Skylar Diggins is now with the Phoenix Mercury, which is a perfect fit for her. And um, just kind of see how some of those new trades are going to work out. And then, gosh, I sure hope this class that they're about to draft does get to play this summer, because that would probably be the next major storyline I would follow is what kind of uh, impact immediate or otherwise the incoming rookies would have on their various teams because you know, it's a good good group that's coming in, you know, and then who might be squeezed out as a result of that because, unfortunately, there's less spots um, available in the WNBA than there is in the NBA. So it'll, it'll mean, you know, them coming in would mean other people leaving. But, um, you know, it was, it was poised to be, and it is poised to be, hopefully, um, a really interesting mix with all the shifts and with all the newcomers. I think everybody knows the New York Liberty is going to snatch up Sabrina Yoniski with that first pick. But after that, you know, that all the next picks, your, your guess is as good as mine. Nobody really knows what all these GMs are thinking until they actually make the pick. 
What were some of the storylines you were covering for the college season? I mean, you know, we talked about Sabrina and SU. Everybody knows that. But, I mean, UCLA, Corey Close had a great year in Westwood. They were ranked number one for part of the year, and they had a great run. What are some of the other stories that that, that were interesting to you this past season? Well, you know, obviously the Pac-12 did have a really amazing year. And um, there was a lot of great – I think we went through the year where um, five or six teams for the entire season were in the top 25, and I don't know if that's ever happened before. So that was really, really stellar. We had, um, the, like, the defensive player of the year, um, Arianne McDonald at Arizona. So, you know, Adia Barnes is really starting to take Arizona to to new heights. And um, um, like you were just saying, Corey Close, she lifted her team past expectations a little bit. And um, – in the Big Ten, the Big Ten turned out to have a really great year that nobody really saw that saw that happening. Um, Northwestern, I did write a story on Northwestern. They they really surprised a lot of people by clinching a share of the title. No one saw that coming. Um, the ACC was extremely exciting this year, just tight all the way down the line. And I think um, again, I hate to keep saying this, but one of, another one of the sad things about the tournament being canceled is it happened right in the right before all the mid-major conferences could conference tournaments so they outright uh gave Ryder and maris a split they gave them co-champions which neither coach liked for the i believe it was the mac and it would have been fun to actually see them play that out because Ryder had the best uh collegiate score in the game all season long and stella johnson and maris was good and then florida gulf coast had to split the title in a sun with i forget who else but they didn't like that either and it would have been fun to see you know, to see more of those games play out and see who actually made it and then to actually see who got the bids. But um, there were some powerful mid-major schools. And um, I think probably the biggest shocker before we shut the lights down was the Portland Pilots under first-year coach Michael Meek taking down Gonzaga in their tournament final for West Coast Conference. I don't think anybody picked that one. I remember hearing about it that day. I was still at work, and I was like, <gasps> like that. Like, it was that kind of game. And so... Um, <clears throat> there was just a lot of freshness to be honest. And I was going to bring this up earlier, Gisele, but I forgot that the shot that Morgan William had from Mississippi state in the, against UConn in the 2017 final four semifinal that broke UConn's 111 game winning streak. That kind of seems to have changed basketball ever since then. Like it's still reverberating because before then it was locked down for UConn. It was like you said earlier, a two horse race. Um, it was UConn versus everybody else. But ever since then, and every year since then, the parity in women's game and collegiate-wise has gotten better and better and better. And um, it was pretty wide open this year, to be honest. We really didn't know who it was. I mean, it easily could have been everybody feels let. Well, the, the prevailing opinion is that any one of these three teams could have been the champion, Oregon, South Carolina, or Baylor. Any one. And it would just depend on maybe a lucky possession or – one little prop, one little mishap or something, 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 or maybe you woke up and there was saran wrap on your basket or something like that, but any one of them. So that's a fun spot to be in three years when you go from assuming one team is going to win to having three absolutely fully viable candidates where anybody could snatch the title. Yeah, and I mean, the last, the last couple of years it's been that way. Uh, since that, that, that shot actually was kind of the shot heard around the world when, uh, when Steppy uh, State was it was. knock off. <laughs> I think they played that game on ESPN re-airs, no lie, like six or seven times, I swear to God. <laughs> and that was then last year, was it last year, the Notre Dame final, the 82-81, was that last year or the year before? I forget which one. 
Uh, that was, last year, Baylor beat Notre Dame. Um, right. 17 was John State, South Carolina's win. It, 2018 in Columbus was Enrique's uh, two-time right. in the in the semis and finals shot win. And then last year, Baylor barely, barely won it. And then Enrique was crying at the end. And so, you know me, I like yeah. all players on all the teams. So I hate to see when anybody cries. And anyway. Yeah. That was one of the was one of the first stories you, we, you when you and I met. That was one of the first stories you told us. You told me about because I was covering a couple of the girls from UCR were from Canyon Springs. And oh, you said, yeah. oh, there was this there was this Canyon Springs Santa Monica game where Santa Monica was like the top team in the in the in the section, and then Canyon oh Springs God, went to Santa that. Monica and beat them. And you were telling me how they were sobbing. That's when I first knew. It's like yeah, it's like, like like I love the game. I hated they were sobbing on the sideline. <laughs> Well, you know, the only the there's uh, you see the people on social media and um, some people just really don't understand. I, I guess I guess I'm an old school media person. They really don't understand how you can be like me and have no team and just really love the players and the and, and the coaches of the game and stuff. Because, you know, if somebody else, if their opponent is, is upset, then that makes them happy. But I don't want to see that. These these are young women and and young people. And I mean, you know, they play their heart out. And so it just makes me want to. You know, that's just the way the ball rolls. And, you know, as you get older, you understand that. But when you're 18 to 22, I mean, it's rough. And so, hey, you got to respect the game, respect the people that play the game. Everybody on that court is, is doing their best, busting their hump. You got to respect it. You know, I mean, and that's that's I mean, as a broadcaster, that's my perception is, yeah, I'm working for Team A, but there's a game being played. There are rules to the game and the better team is going to win more often than not. And that's what we're presenting. You, what people like you and I are presenting to a larger to a larger audience. You know, um, it, yeah. it's a different sport. I, I I remember I read a story some years ago. It was Dick Enberg was still alive, and Dick Enberg was oh, a yes. legend in broadcasting. I love him. Was work, working for the Padres, and they were playing the Dodgers, and a Dodger player made a great catch, and he got excited about the great catch. And they had some marketing guy call him into an office and say, "Well, why are you excited?" Over this Dodger guy making a catch, he said, because it was a great catch. And I, I said, you got to be kidding me! This is Dick Enberg. You're going to call him in and have him speak to the manager? That's ridiculous. That's where oh we've gone. God. And but yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I marvel at the work these players put in and the yeah. level of talent and just the level of dedication by by everybody, by coaches, by players. And just because I'm calling the game for one team doesn't mean I can't appreciate an outstanding performance by somebody who's playing another uniform. And that's the way I look at it. No, it's true. And, you know, even the coaches can do it. It seems like the only people who can't do it is the fans. You know, even even Tara Vanderveer, you know, if somebody else has just beat her Cardinal, she will say credit to them, you know. And some of these fans can't say one word. <laughs> it's just you just got to put sports in its perspective. And maybe, who knows, Giselle, maybe this uh, situation that we're all in right now, maybe that'll help people put sports in its perspective. At the end of the day, it is a game. And so you have to be, yeah, you just have to just have more respect like we used to have. And, you know, on that tangent, when I was watching the rebroadcast of the 82 championship game the other day, I was noticing what a difference it was in in how the players treated each other on the court then as opposed to now. People would hold each other up or give each or, or if you fouled somebody, then you would just give them a pat and then you'd move on. And now it's just like, screw you, I'm just going to walk off and all this kind of stuff. And I just thought, wow, we've, things have really changed. It's different. <laughs> and I kind of like the way it used to be. Better. Uh, you, how much high school did you cover this year, Sue? Did you get a chance to get out to any of the high school stuff? 
I don't have a chance to get as out as much as I would like. Um, so not, I'll be honest with you, not a whole lot. I kind of, ca- I kind of capture it remotely. Um, part of it too, I became disenchanted a few years ago because, or whatever kind of went down for a while for whatever reason. So maybe it's on the rise again. I, I probably should jump back into it this year, but it just remi- just made me think of like that great modern day class that included Kalina Mosqueda Lewis and Alexis Violetama. Um, it was right about then that it kind of took a little dip for a while. So, yeah. And then the city, the L.A. city schools, they all changed their leagues. And so nobody was playing in the same league anymore. And so it got kind of confusing. <laughs> well, I mean, still, you do a great comprehensive job with the colleges and with the WNBA. It's womenshoopsworld.com, correct? Yes, sir. Also, our, my Twitter feed, yeah, it is. And then the Twitter feed I have is Hoopism, and I put a lot of news links on there as well. And so just try to provide people with as much news as possible about the sport that they love because it's all scattered all over the place. And I, um, I, I really do try to kind of put it in a, all in one space so it's easier for people to find and locate the information they need to, to, to know to make their day better. I tell anybody who listen, you're the go-to. You want to learn about women's hoops, go on to you know, follow follow Sue and then jump onto our website at womenshoopsworlds.com. Give me a, give me some parting thoughts on the uh, just on the world basketball, whatever you want to talk about on the world in general. Um, Sue Favor, thank you again for joining us and uh, give me give me your final word. Wow. Well, I guess right now I'm just kind of hoping for the best because as we've seen right now, you know, every everything leads to another thing. So. The sooner we can kind of corral this pandemic that we have, the sooner, you know, we can probably get back to the business because clearly this affects the pro league. This would affect college. This would also affect overseas for all of our men and women that that make make money overseas in the winter to try to go play there. Um, So I just really hope that we can take care of business so we can get back to enjoying the sport that we love. And, um, you know, hey, reruns are great, but live is even greater. Right. So well, we, we, just have we, to we gotta do, do. <laughs> we gotta do we gotta do a hip hop and we gotta do an eighties one. So we'll we'll, we'll space them out. Hopefully, if this goes on, we'll, we'll we'll talk again. All right, I'm gonna put you on the spot now. I'm gonna ask you a couple questions. So you have to win okay. one game. You have to win <laughs> one game. Who's your okay. coach? Who's your coach? Oh God. Um, let's see. Dead Pat Summit. Um, oh boy. See alive. You're pushing me here. Um, alive, maybe Vic, Sch- maybe Vic Schaefer, who just got hired at Texas. That might be my choice right off top. He's, he's, he's a bulldog. I know he's the longhorn now, but he really is a bulldog. Uh, player for one game. You got to win one game and that you can pick one player that, you know, every, you're, you're going to be given four players, but you can pick the fifth, <laughs> which is the player you pick. Tamika Ketchings wouldn't count, right? You can pick Tamika. Sure. Because I would, yeah, I, I would pick, I would pick Tamika like eight days a week and 25 hours a day and 366 days a year. Yeah. Okay. And then so would she be? So if you needed one shot, so you're down by one and you need a shot, is Tamika your go-to? Is that who you go to? Yeah, I probably would. Yeah. Because even if I passed it to her and she felt like she couldn't make the shot, she would give it to somebody who could because she's really smart like that and she's selfless. And then I want I want you to give me three names, and if they're the same name, so be it. Uh, that you've seen with your own eyes, best pro, college, high school player. Oh wow, that's a good one. Um, <clears throat> I would say 
let's see. High school back in the day when Araya Crook was on back in her day for, uh, she was amazing. She was amazing. Um, college, I don't know if we could top Sabrina Yonescu at this point. I haven't really seen it except I guess. You're, you're a doc. That's why you're saying it. You're an Oregon alum. That's no, but see, I was, I was just about to, it's surprisingly, I really don't favor <laughs> my own. Trust me. Yeah, um, I was I'm just teased. about to say. Kelsey Plum would be would be the other one because both of them were just unbeatable, right? Um, pro, that's hard, man. That's hard. We got so we got so many players with so many great skill sets. Um, I guess I would say Candace Parker because she she's just so versatile and she's always been versatile and now everybody else is versatile like her, but she's always been that way. If that makes any sense, she can no, when she's sense. really when she's really motivated, she can do whatever she wants out there. Nobody can really stop her. So. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense because because she was the model of so many so many girls patterned themselves they, after after. Yeah, one of those re airs that they keep showing is the two uh, with the two thousand eight championship game, and you know you could see it. Um, she'll get her own rebound and then she just takes it up the court. She doesn't even bother to pass to a point guard. She's just like, oh, I got it. And that was twelve years ago. So you know, and she still does that. <laughs> yeah. Hey Sue, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll we'll ride this out and we'll be going to games sooner than later. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's great to see you and talk to you again, buddy. Sue Favor, Women's Hoops World. You can follow her at Hoopism on Twitter. Check her out. Does a great job.